Premium Hoops presents Sense and Scalability. Welcome back to Sense and Male Fragility. Oh, sorry, Scalability. I'll edit that out. <laughs> I think it's good. <laughs> uh, it caught me so off guard. Well, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, do, I'll, make, I'll make a final decision, but I, that was just for you guys. Sense and Scalability. How is everybody doing? Wonderful April month. Evan, sup? What's good, Scott? Today's been long as absolute hell. I slept like shit last night, so Scott's going to have quite a fun time editing this when my brain shuts down in the middle of me talking and I have to, you know, take a minute to reboot it. Um, But uh, yeah, yeah, the day's over. Tomorrow's a Friday. Life's good. All right, Cody. I just recorded a Premium Hoops podcast with our Lord and Savior, Mark Schindler, over at Premium Hoops. So I am uh, I'm, I'm ready to go for my doubleheader of a podcast today. You're all warmed up. You're in the podcast minds like Mark Schindler. Yeah, I really am. I'm here. I'm going to start interviewing some players. It's going to be great. See, the trick with Mark is he just stays in podcast mode. Um, people ask him, how do you do so many podcasts all the time? And really it's more of a struggle for him to not be out of podcast mode. That's my theory with Mark. Enter Bane voice about being born in the podcast. Molded by it. Desmond Bane. Hell yeah. Big, big fan of him. Um, anyway, this is, we're going to talk about basketball a good amount, but probably not on like the analytical level you're used to today. Um, we don't, really have any overwhelming topics you know we did the trade deadline reaction we still have to see how those players you know adjust to their new team playoffs are still a while away we you know we have some ideas in the pipe in the pipelines but today is just going to be about like you know just keeping the game interesting for yourself uh prioritizing mental health and trying your best to uh avoid basketball burnout or rather since it's inevitable i don't know if you can avoid it but manage it. Um, and I think this is something that resonates with all of us. Um, I think all of us at some point when we started writing or covering basketball in any other capacity, get to a point where it's like, why am I doing this? You know, who am I doing this for? Um, and that's kind of a moment where you kind of look around and maybe, uh, make a few adjustments, but do a lot of reflection in my, in my case, I don't know. Is this is this sound familiar to you guys? What's kind of been your path as a basketball coverer of sorts? Well, I think it's definitely something. I mean, we we've, we've talked about it. I think we uh, kind of let off a podcast with it or closed out a podcast with it. Um, one of our one of our previous episodes because you and I were kind of struggling with you know a little bit of basketball burnout and and content creation burnout as well. And and like even though it's Basketball is something I love, you know, it's, it's, I, I do this for fun. I, I do this for free. Um, I spend a lot of time on it and, uh, you know, it, it's never been about the money for me at all or, or about finding employment or anything and, and everybody's goals are different. But I think, um, you know, when you, when you grind so hard and you drive yourself to really put yourself out there as a creator, um, you know, whatever your medium, um, you know, it, it, it can be difficult, the weight of the expectations from others, the weight of the expectations on yourself. And so uh, dealing with that, like you said, finding ways to kind of cope with that, to keep yourself, uh, keep yourself sane and, and mentally healthy and um, take breaks when you need to. It, it's, it's critical. And we're not just doing this just to like blow some steam off, although that sure is like a nice side effect self selfishly. But we know a lot of you listeners uh, have your own endeavors. You know, you're kind of part of this NBA Twitter sphere that we all seem to occupy. And a lot of you have your own ambitions and your own projects and they're great. And I imagine sometimes, you know, you don't feel great about them or you feel kind of stuck um, as we all do. So I just feel like it's something that everyone goes through, but not a lot of people talk about Um, and just feeling like you're not always like super psyched about basketball sometimes. And that's totally okay. Yeah. I think something that, I don't want to say bothers because that sounds a little too intense, but you know, I started watching basketball just because I enjoyed the aesthetic part of it. Like I didn't know any analysis. I think I actually discovered like a couple of uh, uh, VHS tapes actually of some Michael Jordan 
clips. And that's basically how I got my start is I just watched those over and over and over again. And I remember, I actually very clearly remember when I was in middle school watching basketball and being very disappointed when there wasn't a dunk. And I'd be like, that wasn't a good game. This is terrible. And now I think back to that and I'm like, man, like I could have just randomly picked anything and just dive down the analytical wormhole. And I would also be as far away from that as I did with as where I started with basketball and and sometimes that like I said bothers me where I'll watch a game and be like am I even really enjoying this or do I just care about how well Jay Sean Tate is switching onto different players at the moment and so like when when I start getting like that meta thinking about my consumption of the NBA that's when it starts to get a little bit weird to me and I think so much much of us are at a point different from what initially made us love basketball um I remember uh, having NBA Street Volume 2, and that also got me really into the dunks. Uh, You could jump way over the rim, and then your teammate would sky up over the rim, and on the way down, you'd uh, after you draw the defense, you'd lob it up to him. And that was like the best feeling when you successfully timed one of those and pulled one of them off. Um, I remember feeling similarly about dunks as you, Cody. I remember my dad took me to my first NBA game when I was uh, in sixth grade. I saw the... um, Celtics, since I'm in you know Connecticut, play the Rockets. Unfortunately, T Mac was like only played 14 minutes because he had back spasms. But uh, I remember Stromile Swift had a few nice dunks, and probably my favorite play of the game was when Ricky Davis had a wide open fast break. And normally, like you know, it's not the most exciting play if a guy has a clear path. But I remember being so excited by the fact that he kind of added some spice to the dunk. Um, it was kind of one of those rock the baby. Uh, not a 360 or anything crazy, but just really cool to see. So that was kind of it initially. And then uh, later on, I didn't really understand like the angles of the game until I was like 18, 19. And from then on, it's been like, sometimes I like feel like I, I never quite hit those highs of being a little kid, but maybe, I don't know, maybe that's okay, but I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, I do. I, I think that's okay. And and you guys touched on quite a few things that I kind of use to keep myself grounded um, as I, I kind of watch a lot of basketball and create content and stuff like that. Um, I think it's super helpful to think about what got you started, what makes you love the game so much and to never really forget that, you know, as much as you possibly can. And sometimes that's easier said than done. Um, but like you guys mentioned, you know, the, it, the game is just fun to watch. Like it's it's fun to play. It's fun to watch. Um, I really think that, you know, doing both helps me a lot. Like I can watch games until like I just fall asleep on the couch, like game after game after game. And that's great. But I think it's also really nice to, like you said, find other ways to enjoy the game. And sometimes that's not always watching them. So you guys mentioned video games. I have such fond memories as a kid of like going to arcades with my brother and like playing NBA jam and like picking our twos and and just like talking shit about each other's team. Um, and just being able to like pull off these crazy highlight plays, um, you know, and, and just enjoying and spending good time around the sport. Um, but not directly around the sport. Um, and so for me, yeah, keeping grounded in the sense that like I'm constantly trying to remind myself, not always trying, sometimes it comes really easily, sometimes it's difficult for me, but just always kind of trying to remind myself um, and, and remember why I love basketball so much. And for me, that that helps keep me going a lot. So I think something that gets lost in the shuffle, especially now when you get really analytical, I know it definitely does for me, is uh, the highlight plays. And we've both referenced them a couple times. Do either of you have like a very clear, like, can you think of one of the first clear highlight plays that you saw, quote unquote, live when you were watching and you were like, oh my God, what did I just watch? And then it just like, it maybe is a highlight that you keep going back to and you're like, I was watching this game when that happened. Is there anything like that that comes to mind? I have, a, I have, oh my goodness, I have one. I, one of the following games I, I went to with my dad, uh, somehow, I don't know how, uh, maybe he lied about how cheap they were, but we got tickets to um, game four, I think, yeah, of the uh, 2020, uh, the 2010 series against the Cavs. It was one of LeBron's last games and his first stint as a Cav. And there was nothing quite like seeing, uh, and I was like 16 at the time. So I still was kind of basketball oblivious. I knew I really liked the Celtics. Um, I remember, you know, every time I saw the clock at 11, 11, I was like, I hope the Celtics, I wish the Celtics would win the championship. That, that was kind of uh, 
And then when they lost to the Lakers, I was like, fuck, I, I probably should have caught more 11-11s. Um, but they did win this game that I saw. That was Rondo's 27.17 rebound, 13 assist game, probably the best game of his career, uh, playoff Rondo in full effect. And it all kind of culminated, um, I think it was maybe the second quarter, um, he or maybe the third, sometime in the middle of the game, he had the fast break. LeBron is just like so ready to get that chase down block. And at the last second, he kind of does his Rondo layup behind the back pass to Tony Allen. And the one I remember most distinctly is not knowing the ball went there immediately. And even though I was sitting up in the like high up bleachers, it looked from my angle like LeBron was like going to maybe fly over the hoop. Um, <laughs> just, just, just how, you know, much he committed to that shot and how high he jumped. And that only added to how, like, I, I almost feel like if LeBron just like, you know, if he just kind of st- stood his ground and like tried to connect, tried to contest that and just maybe, uh, do some verticality or whatever at the rim, as opposed to slapping it off the glass, like he did to Iguodala, then, uh, it wouldn't have been such an exciting play, but because LeBron, uh, sold that fake so hard, uh, it was just incredible. And I think Rondo definitely captures the imagination because like you can almost convince yourself you can do a lot of the things he does. Uh, I can't palm the ball or especially at that age, but like it was just a lot of stuff you could probably translate to just playing pickup with your friends. So he really, him and Steve Nash really uh, expanded my imagination of what you could do. Uh, And Jason Williams for that matter, the elbow pass, I'd always try that. Um, uh, just guys like that really uh, stoked the flame for like figuring out the outer limits of creativity with a basketball. Yeah, I love that you mentioned Rondo. Uh, Rajon Rondo was also one of my favorite players growing up. And funny enough, so is Steve Nash. But specifically Rondo was when I was really watching a lot of basketball. Um, I, I was into the sport, obviously, when Nash was playing. But um, by the time Rondo was active and had become, you know, the the fourth star on that team, so to speak, um, I, I was just in love with that team. I love the way they put it together. I remember, I think I was at the dentist's office, like, and my dentist had uh, TVs, like, at, at each, uh, I don't know what they're called, like, dent, I don't know, whatever, room. Um, and so I'm laying on the on the bench, and they're, like, cleaning my teeth or whatever, and I'm watching Rajon Rondo highlights, um, and I see, the, like, ESPN reporting that the trade went through. So that team was a ton of fun, um, just kind of watching them put it together and then put a ring run together was really, really sweet. And everything Rondo did, like his layup package was just fantastic to watch. Like he's an artist, a creative artist and, and such a quirky, like weird dude too. And I I think like the more I learned about like kind of, um, his like connect four adventures and and like, I don't know, just, just general Rondo stuff, the little stories you hear, like that was a lot of fun for me, but in terms of highlight plays, um, then I can just like really, really clearly remember, um, in 2015, it was a year before I graduated college and the Bulls had a, a tight playoff series against LeBron's Cavs. And there was one game in specific. I don't remember the exact game of the series, but, um, Derek Rose hit this, this like multi multiple feet off the three point line, kind of fading to the side and maybe a little bit backwards, I think buzzer beater and, uh, he hit it, and it was the Bulls' first buzzer beater in a playoff game since 1997. Uh, one of Jordan's last buzzer beaters in the playoffs for the Bulls, or his last, I guess. Um, and and like this series was heated. Like the refs weren't calling anything. It was brutal because um, you know the Bulls were long-standing rivals with LeBron's Cavs, and like we were always kind of the kind of the little brother that never really made it far enough because LeBron would make us look silly every year. And I remember just thinking like this was going to be the year and Rose hit that buzzer beater. And then, you know, you think he's going to freak out and celebrate with his teammates and all his teammates charge him. And he's just straight faced as can be like stone cold, no emotion. And I thought that was like the coolest, most memorable thing at the time. It was just wild to watch. Um, you know, this guy hitting a, a career defining, like a moment that I used to dream about, like playing basketball in my driveway. Like I'd count down to myself and, take these weird fading shots out of bounds and just see if I could hit them, like replicate what it'd be like to be in the, in the league and, and hitting those kinds of shots in high leverage moments. And he did it and he didn't even respond. And I was like, wow, these dudes are just different than me. Like, I can't believe how cool that was. And like, you know, being a bulls fan, like that made that series really interesting. You know, we didn't end up moving on, but it was a lot of fun. And so that was a really cool moment that I'll, I'll remember the rest of my life. 
I'm going to go ahead and answer my my own question. And it's kind of sad because I'm thinking back to a lot of these highlights. It's I have a ton of different memories from when I first started watching basketball and, and some of those like extreme excitement, that extreme excitement that I felt feels like it's tapering off over these last few years. Um, but I started watching basketball. I got into basketball in like 2005-ish, but out where we lived, we had like three channels. And so it was one of those where it was like after Christmas, I would start being able to watch like the Sunday afternoon games. So I didn't really watch much, but I kind of latched on to LeBron at the time. And I'm like, this is going to be my guy. I'm excited about things he does. And I I very clearly remember the 2007, and I say clearly, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it was the game six game, game five, who knows, against Detroit, uh, where he just goes on a scoring spree. And I was like, wow, I'm watching this. This is just like those Michael Jordan tapes that I was watching before. He is unstoppable at the moment. Uh, But his specific play that really stands out is actually in 2008 uh, during the Wizard series. There's a play where Daniel Gibson gets on the fast break and he throws the lob that's just a little bit too high. And I I don't know if I've ever seen LeBron jump this high, but he caught it like fully cocked back as high as he could and threw that down. And I remember watching that game like this is literally the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like my life just peaked right now. There is no going back. LeBron is the best thing that has ever happened in my life. And I think that's the like the clearest first huge play that I remember seeing and being like this is this is absolutely incredible. Um, But I do have to say that the Ray Allen uh, finals shot also stands out as just being straight up the coolest play I've ever seen in my life. I was, you know, I'm a huge LeBron fan. I was definitely pulling for the heat there. Uh, I was home alone at the time and I was just, you know, I couldn't handle it. So I like Skyped my girlfriend and I was like, I need someone with me while I watch this game. And then Alan hit the shot and I just lost myself. So uh, those, are, those are a few of those plays that just came to mind right away. LeBron kind of taught me to appreciate the rest of the NBA that wasn't the Celtics in a way. Um, I remember, I still remember his 45 point game, 2012 Eastern conference finals game six. Uh, you talk about like being expressionless when Rose hit the game winner. That was like LeBron the entire game. I just like, maybe it's not the best, his best performance statistically, but just in my gut, I feel like it's his best game ever. Um, just because of that look and just that kind of stone cold face he had through the entire performance I've never felt more certain that a game was out of question. Um, I just saw him. I was like, there's no way we're winning this game. And I I just never have had quite that feeling since, you know, you you never want to rule anything out. Um, But gosh, he was not letting that happen that game. So that's uh, when I kind of realized, Hey, I could hate this guy. Like a lot of other Celtics fans do, or, I could appreciate this like once in a generation player. And that kind of made me look at the rest of the NBA and be like, I don't want these, I don't want guys like LeBron to be wasted on me because I was so focused on rooting for my own team. He's technically probably had better games than that game. But I think the key thing to me that really stands out is like, if you compare LeBron to being like Neo from the Matrix series, uh, that fight against the Celtics was like the end of the first Matrix movie where, you know, Neo's cornered in the train station, and at that point, he's like, I have no other decision right now than to turn around and fight back. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for this moment, but the fate of the world apparently is on my shoulders, and all I have to do is just see what I can do. And that was just kind of LeBron exploring the fact that's like, wow, maybe I actually am the best player ever, and this is just the beginning of my run. Whereas, like, when you watch that, uh, you know, the unfortunate J.R. Smith game against the Warriors, that was like matrix revolutions neo where it's like he's just like stopping time and taking on 500 agent smiths and it's like oh he knows he can do this he can just do everything but earlier on you didn't quite know he could do it at that point so that's what made that particular performance special and the uncertainty in those early stages of the great players like arcs of greatness are so fun to watch it's so it's so fun to root for guys as they become like the the hero at at the end of the hero's journey so to speak and and like i think it's so important to not rob yourself of that like scott you touched on how you were an anti-lebron guy i was such a huge anti-lebron guy for like the longest time which was impossible not to be because when you're a chicago bulls fan and you just like have fan brain like nowadays i appreciate players who are great because they're great back in the day like my fan brain was like no lebron is a flopper like he you know he just builds super teams it was so funny And, and eventually it was like and it was kind of a blessing at the time. Like my bulls became bad and it was like, 
why do I dislike this guy again? He's fun as hell. Um, and I had the same thing with Steph Curry and the Warriors, um, you know, and, and eventually it's just like it, the league needs like a villain and and some, you still have to like appreciate the strength and the greatness of that villain. And, and I think those kinds of like those kinds of storylines and those kinds of arcs really like bring everybody together, like all the all the fans and all the viewers together in an experience that like it's I almost equate it to like shows that don't drop all the all 10 episodes of a season at once like you're all serially watching them every sunday like game of thrones it becomes appointment television like and bill simmons has talked about this too like as much as people either like or dislike bill i think he's right on this one like when the league has great superstars like LeBron, like Jordan, um, it becomes appointment television to watch these guys play high leverage games. And it's something that you can like talk to anybody about. Like I can talk to, you know, like relatives that I don't even think watch basketball regularly and regularly. And it's like, what's LeBron doing? I mean, the dude is great. Like when we just get talking about LeBron and it brings people together. And it's another thing I like about the sport, but, um, just watching these guys grow and watching these guys, I think really importantly enjoy the game is really important to me. Um, and I think sometimes I, I'd love to hear you guys opinion on this and we can go back to, cause I'm about to change topic just a bit. If you need to feel free to touch on something I've already said, but, um, on the topic of kind of making sure that all the players involved are, are still enjoying themselves and having fun. I think that's something that's, that I've really struggled with this season in, in the COVID pandemic and the pandemic season. And, you know, having guys go down with COVID, like, I mean, it's heartbreaking what's happened to Mo Bamba's career just from suffering from a serious case of COVID and having a really tough time getting back. And just like thinking about all the struggles that have had to had to happen to put this season together. For me, it, it's just a real like mental weight on me. And it, it's it can be hard on some nights to get myself to enjoy the game, knowing that like all of these hoops are being jumped through for people's entertainment and yeah, money's being made for these players and that's important generational wealth for them. But it it just, it's a little bit painful sometimes and it it makes it hard to enjoy the game when you know that the players may not be enjoying it so much. Like watching the Raptors this season has been heartbreaking too. It's so tough to watch. I like that last point you brought up. I actually, I almost don't like thinking about the Raptors whenever they come up. I just, I think about that. I'm like, man, you had to move this far away just to make sure that your season is going. And here people are just ripping apart like, oh, this this team is uh, underplaying their expectations. Kyle Lowry is going to get traded. There was that whole emotional toll. And I think about putting myself in that situation and any of those would be enough to break me. Like being like, hey, everyone, I don't know if I'm going to hang out with you all again, but it's been real. And then all of a sudden you're not going to be traded or even like, oh, Cody, you're actually going to go move to a different city. And you and your family kind of have to figure out exactly what that's going to look like. And that, that really bothers me specifically when I think about the Raptors. But you're you're 100% right when it comes to the whole league. But the Raptors, to me, really, it's, it's a sad state of, state of affair. I just have felt weird consuming sports since, like, pretty much the pandemic started. I almost don't notice myself actively thinking, like, shit, this sucks for these guys. It feels like it's just embedded in me now. Um it sucks that it's like a factor, you know, like I feel like Jason Tatum, uh, he commented on still having like feeling COVID symptoms, like as recently as like a month ago, I haven't heard much lately, but like, you know, Celtics haven't been playing as well. And it's like, it's just, should that be a factor (laughs) in determining a team's success that like they're exposing themselves to a virus and they're invariably, some of them are going to get it. It's just, yeah, like that's kind of the larger conversation about how our country's treated the virus as a whole. Um, it's really, it kind of has um, shifted my view of like what's considered fair and what's like, you know, the reality. And uh, not that I thought the world was like a super fair place, but like, damn, this whole year has been really on the nose in that regard. So I guess it's not something like I consciously soak in. Maybe I kind of feel bad for saying that I'm not hyper aware of it, but I'm really not. I kind of just treat it like a normal basketball game. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, in the back of my head, something's a little off. You're, you're definitely right. And I think a lot of people have struggled with that. Like I can tell you for sure, that's been a real struggle for me ever since the pandemic hit. And you know, the, the, the protests after George Floyd's killing, um, just like, I heard so many people say or read so many people say on Twitter things like, you know, we need we need sports to to keep our our spirits up and and to keep our minds off the things that are bad. And 
Um, I don't know if that's always the right way to handle things. Um, I think sometimes it's, it's, it's important that the curtain be pulled back on these kinds of injustices and these kinds of, um, you know, things that are, are a reality of our, our lives and the way that life in this country can be. Sometimes it's, it's difficult for there to be ethical enjoyment under capitalism. And, and like, I don't want to get ridiculously sociopolitical or anything like that, but I totally feel it. Like, it's so hard to have all these things going on that are just much bigger than basketball and then to to try to sit down and watch a game and analyze like silly little things like how a guy is playing off ball defense or or how how much a, a player has improved his handle it's just it's it's almost such a striking contrast that it makes it difficult to immerse yourself in the experience and i think that immersion in the experience and the enjoyment um is really what makes what makes basketball so fun and so if you can't make that connection you know like and there are obviously very valid reasons why people struggled to make that connection in the last year and me, you know, among them for sure. Um, it can be very difficult to kind of um, keep your love for the game. And, and, and it's a struggle that we constantly um, we con- we constantly fight against. And I think part of your I think I know that you uh, said it's hard to kind of like really dive in on these frivolous things like analyzing a player's defense now, but. I think that's something that I can take going forward because as you probably guys know, I got off of Twitter for a few months and I felt like I'm like, I'm 26 and I felt like I was still like getting worked up over things like that. Like, you know, having opinions on certain guys games and taking it really personally or like something like that. And I just feel like it's really good to remember that all of this is just for enjoyment, you know, Uh, I think that sometimes, and I am guilty of this too, like it becomes a race to see who can know the most about certain players. And then that makes watching less fun because you're like, oh, I'm doing this so I can keep up with the knowledge train. Um, And that's a really rough place to be that I've definitely found myself. And part of the reason that I seem to like hit a wall every year in the past, it's like just this year in particular, I've really made a point to separate enjoyment and knowledge. Um, I think they seem very similar when you're just getting, when you're having your like basketball or NBA awakening, they seem like the same thing. Cause you just want more info. There's this whole world. You had no idea existed. You're like, Oh my goodness. Let me just, you're like Squidward in the Krabby Patty vault, but then it goes straight to your thighs and you blow up. Um, and you have to realize, well, you don't have to, but I realized that eventually I was just learning stuff for learning sake and forgot to, think about what I wanted to do. And it's, it's okay to ask yourself, do I want to do this? You don't have to slog through it if you're just trying to do it as a hobby. And, and I think with that, something that is really tough is when you start asking yourself, you're like, am I actually contributing anything that no one else in this sphere is contributing? Because I think about the amount of people that are out there and I could just, you know, I could, I could cut ties. I could turn off my Twitter. Um, I could just stop making podcasts. I could stop writing and just consume NBA for my enjoyment. But I don't know. Ever since when I was, I, I don't even know for as long as I can remember, I just like writing things and I liked making up things. And I didn't even have an audience at that point. And so just having at least somewhat of an audience in itself feels really exciting. And if I didn't, I don't know. I wrote in my blog without an audience for like five years. And that was just really fulfilling in some way. It's like a cathartic like exploration of some of my interests. But you're absolutely right. Like I... Uh, this really hit, and like you said, Evan, not trying to get too sociopolitical, but it, it's going to happen. Back in 2017, when uh, a lot of the first reports about you know uh, kids in cages down in the border hit, uh, I really struggled with the NBA at that time, and I I didn't. That was probably the worst point in my basketball career, where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why am I spending time with uh, with basketball when there's so many other useful things I could be doing? in the world right now. And I still haven't found a good answer with that, but I think just the answer is like, you kind of have to do stuff for yourself to keep yourself going a little bit. And you know, you have to figure out where your moral lines are and live by those moral lines. And that's more or less where I've settled at this point, uh, you know, in, in my life. And I think that hits to a point that I, I'm really glad that we're getting towards. And I think it there it's this idea that, 
everything has to be, you know, all of your hobbies have to become a side hustle. And it, it's a common mentality now, um, like especially in, in the United States, for sure, that I've noticed. You see it all the time on social media and, and like the, all these advice sites are saying like, you know, oh, millennials, you have problems with student loan debt? Get a side hustle. Like, no, I should be able to enjoy my hobbies. Like, fuck off. Don't tell me how to live my life. Um, and, and like, I think if you can shift that focus and try to reframe things as like, you know what? I don't, it doesn't need to be about production. Like I don't need to create anything. I'm doing this because I want to learn. That helps me a lot. Like Scott, you, you, you chase, uh, kind of the idea that, um, you know, chasing knowledge to keep up, it, it can be a real struggle. And I totally agree with that. Like the, the constant comparisons, um, to others and how much they know and what they bring to the game. Um, it can really wear on you, but, but to me, I, I, it helps me a lot personally to focus on how much that, how much I've grown in like my understanding of the game and how much basketball has given me an avenue to explore myself as like a person who enjoys my hobbies and like a person who writes. I've always wanted to write. And I honestly, you know, I went through college as a science major. I did a lot of like lab report writing, not exactly the most inspired shit. I'll tell you that much. And I, I could never really be a fiction writer because I, it was, it's not my bag. Like, you know, thinking of names is hard. Um, but, uh, for me, like finally I found an avenue where I could kind of be creative and, and have an outlet to share and express my interests and my thoughts and, and things that make me tick. And, um, basketball might just be kind of an avenue to that, but it's also like something I love in and of itself. And so to combine those things and to chase down more knowledge and, and grow as a person and a person who creates content and see my work grow has been really satisfying and that helps keep me going. And there was a time when coming out of college, I know you guys kind of studied, you said you just studied science. Cody, you said you studied English. Um, I studied communications and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with that, but I, I did enjoy, you know, I, I had kind of been blogging about the NBA on the side for a few years. And so I took a year, like a couple of years after college and was just like, yeah, I'm going to see if I can do something here. And it was really tough. Um, I mean, I worked part-time at a retail store where I still work and cause I really like it. But, uh, <laughs> outside of that, I, uh, really tried to like, will it to happen. And I would write articles pretty consistently. Um, probably not as consistently as I would have liked, but that's neither here nor there. And, you know, I just felt like after a while I was wearing myself down to the point where it's like, I'm just being stubborn by wanting to continue to bark up this tree because I'll see myself as a failure if I don't go through with this, you know? And I just think that's a really toxic set of expectations to put on yourself. There's a lot out of your control. I almost wish I put more eggs in other baskets to diversify my career opportunities. Um, I'm, you know, no regrets where I'm at. I'm pretty happy right now. I mean, that's kind of a weird word. I'm content, but uh, yeah, that's just kind of been my journey. And I'm still trying to figure out how to like best make this interesting for myself because a lot of the last couple of years has just been putting pressure on myself. And I think about people like you and I see other people on Twitter talking about this. I've seen it in, you know, private chats or just people on the timeline who are really banking on making something from the NBA, whether that be writing for some kind of website or covering a team or something like that. And the amount of stress that they go through, that's like, I need to impress people and gain as many followers as possible. And I mean, I feel like we all kind of go through that, but it's almost like I need to do this for my livelihood. And I personally feel a little free in that because, you know, I'm, I'm in education, I'm a teacher. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. I'm going to be an educator. And so it's, it's nice to know that this whole Twitter, this whole interacting with people, this whole basketball thing is just like you said, Evan, it's just a, a hobby that has turned into a uh, possible side hustle. And so anything that comes of it is just an added bonus. And so, you know, Scott, I really, I, I feel for, for you. And like I said, other people that are like, I really am going to make something of this. So everything that I do has to be super, super intentional in this space. And it's so hard too, because if you're measuring yourself up against professional goals, you know, every piece you release and the numbers that it does become a referendum on you or they can be. And that's so mentally exhausting. Like, 
I myself like really try not to check numbers for like anything. Um, at the very least, when I post something, I go dark until the next day and I don't check how it did until the next day. And I, I try to limit myself to just checking in once or twice because it's so easy now in, in these mediums that give you, you know, um, advanced analytics on your own performance and as a writer. But like Scott said, like there's so many things that are out of your control, you know, like one high impact retweet can make a piece do numbers that you didn't feel as good about as, as maybe your last piece that didn't do quite so well. And so, um, you know, finding ways to, to measure your own growth that are healthy can be really difficult. Um, and for me, that's why my, my goal is like measuring myself against myself. And I think that really helps because, um, I, I, it's, it's never been helpful to me, um, to compare myself against others because we all have such different goals, such different journeys and different things that we provide and, and different perspectives, perspectives and insights and kind of that diversity of opinions is something that I really enjoy. And I think it, it's why I'm on Twitter is because I'm, I'm always looking for people to have conversations with. And thankfully that means that I've built up a network of people who I really enjoy talking to people that I'm lucky to call my friends. I mean, we were just talking in, in, a, in the group chat before this about how um, people are excited for summer league to be a thing again. So we can all get together. So I, I started kind of my basketball journey at the start of the pandemic. And so um, most of these people um, that I, I get to talk to regularly, uh, some of them daily, I've never met in person. And I don't think that that cheapens the relationship at all. I, I, it's it's really cool that um, you know people without uh, a geographical stake in the friendship. You know that no, there's nothing tying us together except our love for the game and our willingness to uh, learn from each other and teach each other. Um, I really find that valuable and enriching in my life. And so, like, it's going to be really exciting um, to kind of like get to get to Vegas, get to summer league and, and meet everyone and hang out for the first time and, um, look back on kind of all the things that we've done and how we've grown together. And so, um, measuring, measuring relationships has been great for me too, just because like it, it's a, I think it doesn't get the focus it deserves sometimes, but you know, we're all in this together. We're while, while we come from different perspectives and different backgrounds, like we have one, one common thing in, in mind, uh, that, that we all love and that's the sport. And so, um, tying that together and being able to meet wonderful people through it, like I I'm richer for it, whether I ever make a career out of this or not, doesn't really matter to me because I've made a bunch of friends. So it, you know, it's not about the job. It's about the friends you make along the way. And, uh, another thing that I want to talk about is, I found like kind of a respite for like covering the NBA on like a day-to-day -day basis was getting more into the draft. And I wasn't necessarily in the prospects as much. I really don't like a lot of like draft discourse. I don't like the kind of grandstanding for your guys without showing your work that I think happens sometimes on draft Twitter. But um, I like the philosophy behind it. I feel like draft Twitter can often be a, a really good jumping off point for team building and as I was kind of burning myself out, I kind of realized that what kept me getting back into it was like analyzing offensive and defensive ecosystems. Like I, I wanted to wonder why, like why a guy like um, Danny Green was so effective on, you know, the, the, a team with LeBron, but not as, you know, a guy like that wasn't as effective on a different team. Um, although maybe Danny Green's not the best example because, he's been effective on the Sixers who don't necessarily have a LeBron, but you know what I mean? Like how uh, can certain primary creators uh, make up for lack of skill sets? How can other weaker primary creators be aided by certain player types? That's kind of my shit. Like that's why I like the jazz so much. They're the ultimate. And yeah, we don't, we don't have a primary primary, but we're going to just make this shit work. And I love thinking about how certain players unlock each other's skill sets. Um, yeah, basically that's my big thing. And I didn't really know how to explain that for the longest time, which is why I'm so excited about this podcast, Sense and Scalability. It's like, this is giving me the opportunity to just like share my perspective that I've kind of slowly culminated over the years and just didn't know exactly how to describe other than like sprinkle in little philo philosophy tangents into my work um, through happenstance. And that's why I was so excited to start this podcast.
Yeah. And starting this podcast has been fantastic. Uh, like I love talking to you guys about ball and I love that we bring different perspectives and sometimes we disagree. Sometimes we agree wholeheartedly. Shout out Robert Covington had to get it in for this one. Um, <laughs> everybody's cheering on camera. This is great. Um, but I love that you touched on the draft because there are so many different ways that the draft can enrich your experience of enjoying basketball. Um, one, I think it's a bastion of hope for failing teams. And as somebody who rooted for a failing team and um, I mean, the polls are still below 500, I believe. I don't know. I haven't looked at the record in a bit, but we're, we're still not a contender. Um, you know, looking at kind of the next guys up is, is something that's exciting. Um, but to kind of expand on that even more, like, I think what I love so much about the draft is whether you start with high school age prospects and watching AAU games, if you go that that far back for your sample, or even just the first time a guy plays in college, um, you're seeing players for the first time with new eyes. And I think um, something that the NBA discourse sometimes struggles with is when guys are in the league for you know anywhere from like one to God, 20 plus years. Um, people kind of anchor to opinions about them. And, and sometimes it's difficult to to release that commitment to your priors and people dig in on their opinions. Whereas with the draft, you know, um, a lot of people are seeing this guy for the first time. And so it's unique and it's novel and you're, you're allowed to be insecure about your opinions and you're allowed to not know for sure what a guy is. And, and that not knowing to me is so exciting. And the process of starting to figure it out and become comfortable with a guy's tendencies and his game and his skill set, um, his mentality and, and his personality as well. Um, that, that for me is something that I love about the draft and it's, it's what got me into the draft and it's why I keep doing draft stuff to this day. Um, yeah, I would highly recommend like if you're just burnt out on NBA stuff, like watch another league. Um, and if if you're just burnt out on basketball, like I think it's super helpful to have another sport that you watch like a casual. Um, <laughs> I I specifically don't get into advanced statistics of soccer um, much more than like expected goals. Um, I, I could figure it out pretty easily, to be honest, not like tuning my own horn or anything, but soccer statistics are further behind basketball advanced statistics. So I don't think it could, it's that difficult. Um, but I specifically don't go out looking for that information because for me, soccer is a passion. And sometimes when you learn so much, you can dissociate from the emotional aspect of the game. But soccer, I grew up and I played it all the time and I loved it. And I played my like entire school year and or all, all like my entire school career and even past that, like I'm, I'm going to be starting up a league again pretty soon here once uh, the pandemic's done. Um, whether I have to play master or not, I don't care. Um, so having that kind of casual sport that you're just going to like turn your brain off, enjoy the game, not overanalyze. Like, yeah, I have takes, but um, you know, I'm not digging into those takes for me that that's just fun. So finding other ways to kind of keep yourself fresh and, and give yourself new perspectives and find different things to bring to whether it's your analysis or your enjoyment or both um, helps a ton. And I, it's something I would highly advise if, if you can make it happen. Even if it's not another sport, because, you know, I'm, I'm a one trick pony. I'll, I'll admit that openly. I'll, I'll play other sports. I'll play ultimate Frisbee. I used to play soccer. Um, I used to watch college basketball. I went to UW Madison. I lived a block from the Cole center and, you know, I went to a bunch of college basketball games and that was just the, absolute best uh term for everyone today collective effervescence from emil durkheim it's this feeling that when there's a bunch of people in a shared experience that just kind of like elevates you into a uh singular individual and i think you know that's something that you really miss during the the pandemic you know that would happen in concerts or rallies or sporting events or something like that uh but i really i, I used to be a bit into college basketball and then i just completely dropped it and i was like i'm just gonna go wholeheartedly into the nba and so when I'm not watching basketball, I think my side stuff is more like I'm going to watch a movie or I'm going to read a book or something like that. And honestly, it, it can kind of be a love-hate relationship with the NBA where, you know, I'll be like, oh, I need to watch, uh, you know, I don't have enough data for this defense article, so I better go watch a couple more Miami Heat games so I can hand track Jimmy Butler instead of reading one of the three books that are sitting in my bag that I haven't opened yet. And that that can be part of this whole thing that that sucks is that balancing of like, okay, I really love this thing, but I also really love this thing, but this thing I have to record podcasts for and I have to read for and this thing I'm just kind of enjoying. And so it all, once again, ties back to that that side hustle part of it where you're trying to commodify uh, everything, everything you do. So yeah, I, I completely agree with trying to have that side thing, but it's also admittedly very difficult to have a side side thing apart from the NBA. And I think it teaches you how to become just how to just turn your brain off sometimes when watching the NBA. Like I can have silly takes. I was telling Mark in the discord today that Nate, Nate Bjorken 
was pretty good for a coach who only lasted one year. And I was just messing around with him. I don't think he'll get fired this year. Uh, but just shit like that. You know, I've really just tried to um, value those fun interactions, those, you know, smooth brain takes um, that you learn from having other hobbies, how to have in basketball, whether they're other sports or just other things you like to do and don't take that seriously. Yeah. And, and like you guys said, like whether it's sports or something else, like, oh, oh my gosh, for me, it can be kind of a struggle because I am uh, a person who likes to enjoy lots of hobbies and I'll, I'll kind of spin around from hobby to hobby. I'll get really deep into, I don't know, um, music or something like a certain genre of music. And I'm, I'm digging deep on, on new albums and stuff like that. Then it's like, um, kind of bored with this. Um, you know, I've lost kind of my, my passion and inspiration for doing this. I'll come back to it. I almost always do. Um, but now it's time to do something else. Um, but when you, when you create content for some, one of your hobbies, um, and you have people who, who like what you do and, and you feel some, um, some kind of, um, I don't know. You feel like you owe you owe people your work sometimes, and you you owe owe people like communications. Not I, I'm probably framing it a little bit framing it a little bit incorrectly, but um, you know, there, there's people who who want to see what you do and how you grow, and they're they're following you like quite literally following you on social media. Um, so you can so they can see what you drop. Um, it can be tough to like. I can't walk away from basketball like I do from like a genre of music I'm enjoying for a bit. Um, and I don't think I'd ever want to, but sometimes the fact that I can't makes me want to more. Um, and I think that's when it gets to the point where like, I, I, I did this a couple months ago, I think it was, maybe it was just a month ago, a little over a month ago. Um, I just took a week off and yeah, I still watched basketball, but I, I didn't, I, everybody knew I wasn't going to be writing anything, wasn't going to be podcasting, was just going to be chilling. And I took the week off Twitter too. And I, it really helped my mental health. So like, um, Scott, I, I got the inspiration from you taking some time off Twitter and I would really recommend like if you create content or even if you don't, and you just need a break, like unplug yourself from the internet and, and go find something else to do. Like I found myself going out on walks a bunch that, that week. Um, uh, and it was great. I found myself playing video games that had been sitting in my steam backlog for like four years. I was like, gosh, I ha- I finally have time to play this and it feels so good. Um, because you know, I'm not only doing something that I, I promised myself I'd do, but I'm also refreshing my inspiration for something else. And, and that balancing act is great because it's healthy for you and it's, it's something that everybody needs. And sometimes it's just hard to recognize the symptoms of kind of when you need that break. I want to talk a little bit about my Twitter break that I took six months. It kind of, I remember thinking after a week, Hey, I like basketball again. Cause that was the point where I was at. I am somebody, so I'm very high strung. If anyone knows me, I, I absorb everything I see and I don't forget it. So there is a good chance that I remember a bunch of tweets from everybody from like years ago. Uh, and if you're me, it's very easy to let those kind of cloud your headspace. And whenever I like started, we talked about this on uh, pre the Suns podcast. When we just talked about, you know, when you were struggling with Twitter yourself and I was around that time. No, but it's really easy to let everybody kind of be your soundboard. Uh, as soon as you have your own thought, it immediately, immediately bounce it off these characters that you've created, these people that you've created in your head based on the tweets you've seen from them. And they tell you whether it's a good or a bad take in your head sometimes just because it's so prevalent, you know, their, their thoughts are always with you. If you're scrolling Twitter all day. Um, one of the first weeks I got off Twitter, I remember watching some UNC film and I messaged my friend Giles and I just told him Cole Anthony's the best player in the draft. And uh, he was just like, all right, look at Scott with a non consensus opinion off Twitter. Good shit. And I no longer, I, I found that to be not the case after more film watching, but like I had that thought and I let myself have that thought and I saw the pros of having that thought. And I saw the cons. I toyed with that idea. I was like, this guy is really talented at the things he does well. Um, And I think you can make up for his weaknesses more than other people expect. Uh, We don't have to, we don't have to get into 2020 draft discussion. We had so much time for that, but 
that was just a moment where I was like, shit, I'm just letting myself have this opinion. And I think that's where it becomes different. Knowledge becomes different than enjoyment where it's like, is this the correct opinion to have? And just being like, yeah, I'm going to carve out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't care if I end up at a wrong place. As long as I show my work and the work's entertaining and it's makes sense and it's fun, then who the fuck cares whether I'm right or wrong. You know, it's just about kind of doing this for yourself and exploring your own uh, philosophies and challenging them. Yeah. And it's so much more fun if you allow yourself to develop those takes and, and to, to be wrong. Like I, I, first of all, I learn more from when I'm wrong than when I'm right. And second of all, um, I never, I never find myself enjoying being right more than I enjoy being wrong. I, I think it's sometimes fun to, to live or die by a guy, whether it ends up being right or not. Like you put yourself out there and you had a take and, and you know, um, that, that intellectual kind of curiosity and uh, kind of that willingness to put yourself out there means something. Um, and, and, you know, Cody, I think the term you used was collective effervescence. Um, that's, that's definitely something that I think can be a positive, but I think, um, well, first of all, I wanted to say, I guess that when the pandemic hit and there were no more live events, I mean, you touched on that perfectly, that collective effervescence was gone. Um, I think a lot of that collective effervescence, effervescence moved online and, uh, for NBA, that was Twitter. Um, so it was, it was a great time to be on Twitter, but like you guys said, like you end up in this kind of chamber where people kind of meet towards a consensus thought. And if you would disagree with the consensus, um, you're wrong. Even if you show your work, um, you know, whether people disagree with you or agree with you, um, sometimes it can be a struggle to not look like you're just being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian, but that you actually believe what you're saying. Um, and so Collective effervescence can work kind of both directions. And for the most part, I, I love it. Like, it's great to, to be experiencing something, you know, live events, especially with with a group of people. I think it's important that that socialization be something that occurs. But it's healthy to remind yourself that sometimes you need to unplug from that to let yourself be you. Um, it, it can be easy to become part of a group and become that that one with that group. And um, you have to detach from it. Keep yourself uh, keep yourself you and refresh your, your opinions and, and what you think and what you believe. And, um, yeah, that's just, it's something that I think can be difficult, especially when, you know, people, um, a lot of people on NBA Twitter are, they have goals around kind of their content creation or their enjoyment of the sport. And, um, it, sometimes I think it's easy to say like, oh, if I got this wrong, this is, this is like a performance error on my part and it moves me further away from my goals. When in fact, like if you learn something from it, you've moved closer to your goal, or at least you probably did. So, um, just letting yourself be wrong is, is something that you really need mentally and, and not letting yourself be wrong can really catch up on you quick. I think something too, that both of you have kind of touched on now is the group think aspect of Twitter. And that's what can start getting really annoying for me and what drives me to try and uh, bust some almost cliches that start coming about. So one thing for sure that I've been really seeking out recently, uh, not to get too close to actual NBA analysis, but um, I, I've been working on a defense article that's going to be coming out. Uh, I guess when this is released, it'll be coming out this week. Um, but something that was driving it was this discourse around Ben Simmons being like, oh, Ben Simmons is one of the best defenders in the NBA. Best Ben Simmons is one of the best uh, defenders, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't really know anything concrete that made him that much better than anybody else. I just knew that a bunch of people repeated this idea that Ben Simmons is a great defender. And so if there was any kind of pushback, the onus was kind of on them to prove that he's not that great a defender, as opposed to proving that he's actually one of the best defenders. And so I just want to like kind of tear apart some of these things. That's like, you know, I've heard this point on five different podcasts and I've seen it in like three different tweets in the last like two days. Let's start trying to interrogate exactly what's going on on and unplug ourselves from uh, this swirling mass of takes that we're kind of in the midst of and we sometimes can't even tell that we're absorbing right now. And I think that's a big part of the importance of unplugging is just like, uh, you know, you sometimes don't even know when a take isn't original, you know, just because there are so many takes after a while. I'm like, I don't know if I thought of that or if I heard it somewhere else. And when you do distance yourself, you can start being more sure that you're coming up with some original thinking. Yeah. And that's a real psychological phenomenon. Like this is in textbooks for sure. Um, the idea that, uh, over time, um, your brain detaches information from the source, the information came from. And sometimes the, the source that the information came from is you. And sometimes it's not, but once you've been in, in the ether long enough that the, the source has become detached, 
it's like, whose, whose take is this? Like, what am I, why do I believe this? And you need to kind of just step back and like do the proof to yourself. Like from a mathematical standpoint, we'd call it a proof. You just have to do the proof and be like, okay, no, wait, this is why I think Ben Simmons is a very good defender. Um, I love that example because like, yeah, I think sometimes reputations become, um, assessments and, and, and sometimes we're, we're repeating things that, um, that aren't, aren't new, or maybe we don't, they are new, but we don't know why we're saying them or I I don't know. It's, it can be all over the place. And so just like, um, being willing to kind of investigate the source of your beliefs and to kind of challenge your own beliefs regularly is super, super important. And, uh, this kind of harps on another reason I wanted to start this podcast is just like, I wish more podcasts delved into their work, I guess. Um, I think a lot of them are like you talked about that, how you hear it on podcasts, Ben Simmons, good defender, Ben Simmons, good defender. And a lot of them do have reasons for believing this. So you more find it in written work um, explaining this. Um, but in podcasts, maybe they figure we're not as interested, but they only show us the tip of the iceberg. And my whole thing has been like, no, show me the fucking iceberg. Spend like an, an hour just talking about the iceberg because I really want to know what, how you drew to that conclusion. And I think talking about the iceberg can be a lot more informative than just the part that everyone sees the tip of the iceberg. Um, and, uh, that's where I think it's also, you know, you're not sure if people are interested in it, but it also, um, and I think that we're still figuring out how to like do it, but it takes kind of a sense of vulnerability. Like you just said, Evan, like an admittance that you could be wrong, that when you show your work, you could listen back and be like, well, that's garbage. Um, or maybe I would have said that differently or something like that. Or like, you know, maybe in a year I'll have a lot different opinions and I'll have to live with the fact that I, uh, kind of outline my philosophy in a lot of these episodes. That's kind of no longer reflects how I think. Um, there's a lot of, you know, scary things about putting yourself out there that I'm still kind of learning. Um, but I think that that's kind of our goal with this podcast is we're just trying to not be the authority. Um, I think a lot of our listeners, you know, don't need to be told who and who is like, you know, whether or not Ben Simmons is a good defender, they can, you know, they, they have the tools to necessarily like, you know, figure that out for themselves. But I guess, you know, this has been like one of the first podcasts where like, we're getting a good amount of feedback for it. And I think it maybe I, I didn't feel that makes me feel, I didn't feel alone that people wanted a podcast full of guys who, you know, weren't necessarily trying to be right all the time or gals who weren't necessarily be trying to be right all the time, but, you know, just trying to tackle these things and uh, leave the listener with a lot of thoughts and, you know, that good podcast feeling after you take a walk and you just have 10 things you want, you want to think about. And I think what's really kind of interesting to me is um, I think you're spot on. And that's a big thing, a big reason why I wanted to join up with you guys and make this podcast. Um, But I think this episode is kind of the pinnacle of our evolution towards that in the sense that like this is barely a basketball episode and this, you know, we're putting this out here and this could do like no numbers, but I don't care. Like we we're we're investigating something that's important to us Um, and and kind of touching off another topic that you mentioned there, like. Uh, our audience is is a, the kind of audience that like they know how to, they know how to watch the game like people people who come to listen to this podcast want that deep investigation and they want to be asking good questions something that i think is maybe an untapped um kind of method of content creation is almost content creation for content creators in the basketball space like i remember remember when i was first starting out I, something that i really wish there was more of and and something that i think um would be pretty easy to get passionate about passionate about making is like I and I know people are working on this kind of stuff too like how do you watch tape like how do you scout players how do you take notes on players how do you download film like so many people don't know where to get college tape and, and it becomes a, a, you know um an investigative game where people you're checking YouTube or you're, you're, you're Googling you know, UNC versus Florida state. Like, and, and it's, it's tough to kind of um, watch everybody have to reinvent the wheel when, when um, you know, I think there's, there's an underappreciated niche out there for someone who wants to make content creators or co- content for people who want to make content um, and, and share that love of content creation. And, you know, maybe this podcast and uh, us kind of, um, 
kind of sharing our, our thoughts and feelings on basketball burnout, on, on the struggles of content creation, on like our love for the game and, and making sure that flame stays lit. Um, maybe that inspires other people to kind of go off in a similar direction um, or at the very least makes you not feel alone. Um, you know, we're, we're here, we feel like we all feel like this, um, on some days and some days are good, but, um, you're never alone. And, and hopefully like if if this podcast hit home to you at all, like, um, you know, reach out to us. Like, we'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm I'm sure I'm speaking for myself here, but I'm sure the other guys would love to hear your thoughts too. Like, you know, we're here for you just like you're here for us. And so, uh, like thank everyone that listens, like, thank you. Um, and just know you're not alone and that we feel it too. Everybody has these struggles. You're so goddamn good at transitioning me to the outro. It's unbelievable. I'm very talented. (laughs) And it's good. You know that it's good. You know that, uh, but that's gonna, I think we're just gonna drop it there. Uh, I think there's a lot more to talk about here. So, you know, if you, uh, have any, uh, you know, questions or trials or tribulations, uh, you know, even if you don't feel comfortable replying to this when it goes up on premium hoops NBA, like my DMS are open. Um, and you know, we understand because we, kind of, or none of us have it all figured out. And we'd love to kind of talk about any sort of uh, struggles you have as a content creator or otherwise. But in the meantime, um, that's going to be our podcast. I really had a good time doing that. It felt different and new and fun. Um, It feels kind of disingenuous to bring up our ratings now, but I think we all want to hear three of Evan's bad takes. So we'll get to that 32 point, you know, as we talked about having those bad takes can be as informative as having good takes. It really forced me to reframe lead guard risk reward calculus when I hit, when I whiffed on John Morant, you know? Uh, So wear your bad takes on your sleeve. Um, Find what makes you tick. Find why you got into this and hold on to that for dear life because at the end of the day that's the most important thing and that's what's going to keep you going but yeah have a good day everyone and thanks for listening